Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which does include anyone who has a visual impairment and who is unable to read a newspaper. We had have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on a very soggy Thursday, the 20th of February. I'm Elizabeth Hill and the team this week comprises engineer Duncan Wynne and round the table with me, Judith Doherty, Janet Goodwin and Sally Rowe. Clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle and her team. The thought for the day is from Keir Aldis and the music by Sheila Joins. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency and useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres. The, uh, we'll open the birthday book and please tell us yours if we don't have it already. We'll have the past week's headlines, the sunrise and sunset times, and they will be followed by stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. It is a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, that's W-Y-L-D-S, here in Worcester, W-R-5-1-D-A. one And we do say a thank you to Mrs Anne Briggs, who has sent in a donation this week. It all helps to replace equipment and continue the service. We are very grateful, thank you. Would you like to hear from you, especially if you have any suggestions for improvement? You can add a message in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 Please be patient. We are volunteers. We're not here every day. We will get back to you. So do leave a message. I'm going to ask Janet now to um, read the useful and emergency telephone numbers. Thank you, Janet. Well, here in Wilds Lane, as Liz said, it's 01905 76 Worcester Live is 01905 611 427. Police Non Emergency 101. Crime Stoppers 0800 555 treble one worcester hub o one nine o five seven six five seven six five the norbury theatre droitwich o one nine o five double seven o one five four nhs direct one 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 out of hours medical assistance o three double o one two three three two double one that's between six and eight pm Thank you, Janet. Now, uh, birthdays. Any birthdays this week, Judith? Yes, we have one birthday um, for Arthur Smith. Hmm. And uh, his birthday is on the 26th of February. So we all wish Arthur a happy birthday. Happy birthday. (laughs) Happy birthday. Have a good day. Thank you. Right, some more announcements. Um, I'm just going to remind you about the extensive library of talking books 
we have fiction, thrillers, romance, um, and they are available in many formats. Uh, well, just mainly tape or CD, actually. We can provide a list of books in the library, and uh, it, or we, we actually do have large print hard copy books. Um, leave a message on our uh, phone, 01905 um, or if you want to put a note in your uh, wallet, your yellow wallet, um, do so, and uh, Joe Mildred can sort that out for you. Um, Sally's going to tell us a little bit later in the What's Ons about a particular event that is happening at the Swan Theatre in June and it is specifically to raise um, funds for Worcester Talking Newspaper. Uh, it's called Love Letters and I'll leave Sally to tell you a little bit more about it but it is suitable for visually impaired because it is an oral thing rather than visual. Okay, so I'm going to hand over to Sally. Thank you. Right, starting um, in Worcester at the Huntingdon Hall on Saturday the 22nd at 7.30 is um, a Dire Straits tribute band, Brothers in Arms Tour, and the tickets there are £20. Um, also on Saturday the 22nd at the Swan Theatre um, at 7.30 is the adult panto called Peter Panties. And those tickets are £18, suitable for ages 16 plus. Uh, then on Sunday the 23rd of February at 3 o'clock, there is the Frith Piano Quartet, the Worcester Concert Club, um, organising this concert. Benjamin Frith on the piano, David Lepage, violin, Robin Ireland, viola, and Richard Jenkinson, cello. Uh, they're a piano quartet was who were formed in 2001 by a group of like-minded musicians who wanted to explore the wealth of wonderful music. Um, then on, also on Sunday the 23rd, but at Huntingdon Hall in the evening at 7.30, uh, tickets for ni- £9, and there is the Backwater Road Band. Singer-songwriter Julie, Julie July and guitar Guitarist-composer Don Mack present a programme of live music bringing together a variety of established musicians and relatively unknown talented artists for informal live performances. So quite a variety of different things going on there. And then as Liz um, alluded to earlier, um, on Friday the 5th of June at the Swan Theatre at 745 is um, a performance entitled Love Letters, presented by a company called Two's Company to entertain and raise money for Worcester Talking Newspaper. It's particularly well-suited and easy to enjoy for those with sight loss, producing a double benefit. So there's a, a good evening's entertainment and a fundraiser. It is the story of two people who met at primary school and maintained a correspondence throughout their lives charting a complex and intriguing relationship speckled with sadness and humour. A delightful and fascinating play by A.R. Gurney. And there's no admission once the performance has started. Then moving on to Malvern. um, From Tuesday the 25th until Saturday the 29th of February, there is a production of Lady Chatterley's Lover. 
um, and I think that will be on in the matinee on a Wednesday and Saturday and then an evening production every day of the week. Um, then also there is on looking ahead, a little ahead, Wednesday the 4th to Saturday the 7th of March is a production called Holes, a fast-paced and inventive family show that works on every level. Stanley Yelnuts can't catch a break, worn into a family cursed with bad luck. It comes as no surprise when he finds himself accused of a crime he didn't commit. It's a brilliant, inventive and creative new stage show based on the multi-award-winning novel and the Hollywood blockbuster. So, again, that will be um, on Wednesday and Saturday matinee and otherwise in the evening. And then also a little bit further ahead, on Thursday the 5th of March, there Stephen Hoff is um, playing the piano. Um, Bach, Bussini, Chopin, Hoff and Liszt. And on Sunday the 1st of March, there is Tango Fire, uh, essentially erotic and authentically Argentinian. So that's in Malvern. And then moving to the Norbury Theatre in Droitwich, on Saturday the 29th of February is Charlie Robinson and guests presenting Magic, Music and More. So it's an illusionist, Charlie Robinson, Spark, a young and up-and-coming band who met, practice and perform at Rock School in Worcester, Jestar, a professional street dancer from Worcester, and Lucy, who has a passion for singing and regularly takes part in shows in Norbury. So that's a lot of local talent, and that's at 7.30, and the tickets there are just £9 for adults. So that, um, that's what's on in the next couple of weeks in the local area. Thank you, Sally. Well, <clears throat> uh, this week, as I'm sure you are aware, we have been inundated with... Lots of rain. And um, I thought I might start off by just um, trying to paint a picture of um, from some of the photographs that have appeared in the Worcester News this week. There is a story later on about uh, the new road. Um, there's a photograph here of lots of cones along the new road, which did have water on it on Monday. A car making its way through. Um, a gentleman in his Wellingtons with his briefcase on his mobile phone. Um, he's up to his ankles in, in water. Um, the uh, the old rectifying house, um, that's flooded uh, outside and all along the um, South Quay there. Um, apparently the floodgates in, in Hilton Road are actually holding back a significant amount of water, although that is flooded too. Um, outside the arena and riverside along Hilton Road, um, there is water. Um, and along the Hilton Road, there are four um, canoeists <laughs> um, <laughs> paddling their way past the Avis Garage in Hilton Road. Um, the... Um, let's see what else there is. Some lovely reflections... Um, of the old of the old rectifying house, the uh, outside the hive, 
Um, there's a, a castle with a moat. Well, the moat really does have water in it this week. Um, there's a car stranded on Croft Road Car Park. So nice photograph of Croft Road Car Park flooded with a little white car in it. And of course, the swans who um, extend themselves to the water's edge. Uh, in Lower Wick, um, there is a photograph of flooding. Uh, with houses in the foreground and the chimney of the old electricity works in the background. Um, uh, on benches with flood water up to the seating, there are a couple of ducks. Um, there is a photograph of a, a seat, um, metal, one of the metal riverside seats, and the water is just a few inches off the armrests. So you can tell how how deep it is. Um, the cricket club, the water is actually up to the gateway of the cricket club, and they have built, um, they've used some scaffolding and built a walkway to get into the Graham Hick Pavilion. Um, there's also a photograph of an underpass here, <coughs> excuse me, which I guess is St John's, um, and uh, um, quite a nice photograph with a back backlit with the sun of somebody walking through flood water there have been many many and there are of course uh, many stories um, this week that we will be reading to you about the various aspects of the the floods so i'm going to ask judith if she'll do the headlines and sunset and sunrise please okay all right yes um starting off with dodgy sausages put me in hospital guilty Man raped girl, disruptive Dennis, aftermath, wrecked, and finally, Didlink Road work make floods worse. And the sunrise is now 17, um, 13 minutes, uh, 13 minutes past 7 a.m., and sunset is 5.31 p.m. And I believe you have the first story. I'll start, yes, with the dodgy sausages. <laughs> a family say they were all given food poisoning with the mum ending up in hospital after eating out-of-date sausages they had brought, bought from Asda in Worcester. But Asda has not admitted that the sausages were out-of-date. Norkio Luxak and Rafael Paluzak bought sausages as part of a weekly shop on February the 6th and ate them straight away, along with their three children. The Worcester couple, who are due to be married next weekend, say they didn't realise that one packet was out of date by almost two months until they started feeling ill that evening and checked the best before date. Mr Paluzak, 39, said the days after they ate the sausages were hell and that his partner, Miss Luxack, ended up in hospital. He said, We were all so ill, we were queuing for the bathroom. And five people and only one bathroom. There was sick everywhere. It was like something out of a nightmare. The children have all been off school our four-year-old has been especially ill. I have had to take time off to stay at home with them and have lost out on a week's wages. It is not what we needed right before our wedding. 
We are praying we will all be okay for the big day. We are still recovering. All the children have had stomach pain, sweating and vomiting. I have been going to the toilet 10 to 15 times a day. My partner has had to be hospitalised for tests. She has kidney problems and has to be extra careful with things like this. The couple claim they went into Asda to complain but were offered little to no help. However, the supermarket giant denies this. Miss Luxak, 34, said, I have lived in Worcester for eight years and regularly shop at Asda with no issue. However, this has been awful. I feel like we have been treated appallingly. We have been offered no apologies or anything. This shouldn't have happened. When I went in and spoke with the store manager, he offered me a refund and then took the out-of-date sausages off the shelf in front of me. It was not on. No one was interested in how we feel or how the children are. She added, This could happen to anyone. Food poisoning is especially dangerous for young children or the elderly. And as the spokesman told the Worcester News, We monitor all of the stock in our stores to ensure that our products on our shelves are in date and as soon as Miss Luxac made our store aware of her complaint, our store manager accompanied her to our shelves to reassure her there were no out-of-date products on sale before offering her a goodwill gesture in recognition of her unhappiness. We will continue to investigate what could have happened here and wish Miss Luxac and her fiancé every happiness for their wedding. A paedophile who raped the same girl four times is behind bars after being found guilty of his crimes. Wayne Russell was told he is facing a significant custodial sentence by Judge Nicholas Cartwright after he was found guilty of four counts of rape following a five-day trial at Worcester Crown Court. The jury of seven women and five men took three and a half hours to reach their verdicts. Russell, aged 49, of Lilac Avenue, Tolodyne, showed no reaction, reaction as the jury foreman spoke. The rapes took place between January 2010 and January 2016, and all throughout this period, the girl was under the age of 16. She was first raped in an alleyway, alleyway near a school off Green Lane when she was aged 9 or 10, the court heard. She told police, we had sex, but I didn't want to. After the rape, the victim said she was pushed to the floor, which resulted in her hurting her arm and cutting her leg. Another of the rapes took place at Russell's Tolodyne flat. The victim said she was 14 or 15 at that time, and she was raped after smoking cannabis and drinking Strongbow. Referring to herself as Tipsy, the complainant recounted how Russell held her down on her back by her wrists and told her the sex was payment for letting me stay. In the police-recorded interview that was shown to the jury, an officer asked her if Russell knew she did not want to have sex with him, and she replied yes. At one stage, she told officers, I've tried to block it out. Russell's former stepmother told the court the victim turned up on her doorstep after the rap rape at his flat. The witness said the victim collapsed before coming round and she described her as very pale, lethargic, miserable and filthy when usually she was bubbly. 
A third rape took place in Cripplegate Park when the victim was aged 12 or 13, with Russell assaulting her after they had arranged to meet. The fourth rape took place at Brickfields Park after Russell had bought the girl two bottles of Lambrini. The jury heard that Russell assaulted her behind a shelter in the park and then left her alone and that her friends found her and called the police and an ambulance and she had to spend time in hospital. Russell, when he took the stand, claimed the rapes did not happen. Following the verdict, Judge Cartwright said he would need to read the victim's personal statement before sentencing Russell on March the 13th. You are facing a significant custodial sentence, the judge told him, before sending him down to be remanded in custody until March the 13th. Flooding caused major disruption across Worcestershire as Storm Dennis raged over the weekend. Heavy rain, rising river levels and flash flooding closed multiple roads across the county while homes, gardens and businesses were flooded. Environment Agency Manager Dave Throp said severe flooding is set to continue. The conditions by our rivers and our roads are extreme and dangerous. I predict it will only get worse in many areas. Please don't travel unless necessary and heed advice and warnings of emergency services. In Worcester, the A449 between Claines and Ombersley was closed both ways due to flash flooding on Sunday. While a rising river team saw temporary lights installed on the A449 at the Poet Roundabout as the road disappeared underwater. The River Severn burst its banks, leading to flooding along the riverside in the city by Browns and the Diglis Hotel. And people living in St John's and Kemsey said their gardens had filled with water running off nearby roads and fields. While the A44 Bromyard Road was also severely flooded and a rise in water levels at the Laherne Brook led to flooding in Oldbury Road. The Martley Road from Lower Broadheath to Worcester was underwater and impassable at several points. Shane Cotterell said his garden in St John's was flooded but added there are people far worse off than us. I'm safe knowing the water level is still around a six foot lower than my back door and I won't reach it. I pity those already flooded. Steve Edrop, chef at the Fox Inn at Bransford, said he and others have been forced to barricade the front of the pub with sandbags to try and hold back the rising water. He said water is rising steadily here at Bransford. We have barricaded the pub's frontage with sandbags. It's risen a foot in the last two hours. I live on site with another member of staff. We can leave but need to stay and stop water coming in at the moment. The bottom bar is completely flooded. Me and my flatmate are upstairs and OK. We'll be fine here. Plenty of food and beer. A similar picture was seen across the county with multiple roads flooded, including Westwood Way in Droitwich, Hanley Swan in Upton, um, sorry, Hanley Road in Upton-upon-Severn and parts of New Street in Upton-upon-Severn. The M5 was brought to a standstill in Worcester. Flood water poured onto the carriageway from fields. The flooding affected the northbound motorway between Junction 5 for Droitwich and Junction 4A for the M42. There were 39 flood warnings and 30 flood alerts in Worcestershire on Sunday. West Midlands Ambulance Service also increased its state of readiness in light of the flooding. All of the Trust's 30 4x4 ambulances were available to respond to incidents 
along with specialist resources, including the Hazardous Area Response Team, who have specific training in working in water. Floods brought by Storm Dennis have caused major disruption, with road closures, stranded vehicles, shut businesses and people forced to evacuate their homes. Although the storm has now passed, the aftermath of the flooding was still causing problems yesterday, and that will continue today. Bridge and road closures left St John's and Poick almost completely isolated, while Hilton Road, New Road and the Poick Roundabout were all closed. The only way to cross Worcester Bridge by vehicle was via a shuttle bus going both ways, which meant Holt Heath Bridge was the remaining means of crossing the River Severn in the city. Residents in Toronto Close in Lower Wick experienced serious flooding. Four adults, two dogs and a cat had to be evacuated from their homes by the Hereford Fire and Rescue Service on Monday. Louise Green, who lives in the Close, said, It is something we are used to here. This road sometimes floods. However, it hasn't been this bad since 2007. The road is still filled with water now. We get it from the front and the back. It is slightly better than it was, but people are still struggling to get in and out. Businesses also felt the effects. Browns at the Quay, the Seven View and the old rectifying house all experienced flooding. The old rectifying house posted this on its Facebook page. Sadly, I have to let everyone know that we got hit pretty bad by the flood. It means we'll be out of action for a while, I'm afraid. But me and my rather impressive and caring staff will bounce back better than ever. Multiple car parks across the city were closed due to the flooding, including Crowngate, Pitchcroft and the Cattle Market. The City Council advised people to only travel if absolutely necessary. Despite the advice, cars were seen submerged in water throughout the city. Over the weekend, emergency services were extremely busy. West Mercy Police said, We have received almost 1,999 calls over 2,800-101 calls and deployed to over 320 incidents that needed immediate attendance. We would like to reassure everyone affected that all partners are working together to keep people safe and plans have been put in place for the coming days. However, police reported that people ignoring road signs were causing issues. West Mercia OCC tweeted, We are still getting reports from partner agencies who are trying to evacuate people from flooded houses but are being hampered by motorists driving through road-closed signs. This is causing further risk to emergency crews. Severe flood warnings, meaning a danger to life, were in place in Tembury Wells, Ludlow and Upton-on-Seven. A woman in Tembury was swept into the flood on Sunday. The body of Yvonne Booth, aged 55, from Great Bar in Birmingham, has been found as the Worcester News went to press. More news about the 
floods and it's titled Wrecked. People whose homes were wrecked by flood water have called for flood measures to protect them. Residents in Toronto Close, Lowerwick, some of who were forced to evacuate after heavy rainfall and rising river levels, caused serious damage to their properties, want a flood defence system to be put in place. Some had to flee their homes after firefighters from Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service were called. At 10.39pm on Sunday, February 16th, following Storm Dennis, one resident, Steve Talbot, said, I'm a little bit annoyed because the council has promised to put up flood defences. The walls will have to be stripped and replastered to prevent contamination in the houses. You've got the river team at the back and it comes through the gates. It comes as high as 20 inches within half an hour. You can see your back garden disappearing and then it starts rising. One resident, who didn't want to be named, fled his home and is staying in the travel lodge in Cathedral Plaza. He said, it's the frustration of the battle of getting the flood defences up on the brook. It's what it is. There are people who are in a worse state than us. There are people dying. This was minor in comparison. We were all expecting it, but it's never been this bad. We had to prioritise and move all our stuff upstairs. The water had risen about 60 centimetres in my home. The last time this happened was in 2007, but it was nowhere near as bad as this. Worcestershire County Council did not comment on the calls for a flood defence system, but did say the council is preparing an emergency package of support for those worst affected by flooding across the county. Leader of the County Council, Councillor Simon Doherty, some, sorry, Simon Gerrity said, we recognise the severe impact that recent storms have had on Worcestershire and the impact that the subsequent flooding has had on residents, businesses and local communities. The recent rainfall that we've seen, following on from an extended period of wet weather, has led to some of the worst flooding in Worcestershire for many years. Councillor Gerrity asked, I'm I'm visiting some of those areas that have been hit hardest. I want to talk to people and listen to their concerns as we develop an emergency passage of support. I will be announcing further details in the next day or so. But as residents struggled to clear up the mess, they questioned what could be done for the future. Ben Hopkins, who moved to the area six months ago, said it was to be expected and I was told about flooding in the area. This also happened in 2007. There's a river and a brook not far away. I was hoping it would never happen again, but it has. I moved all the important things upstairs and moved my car. Next door banged on my door as the road was filling up. I panicked. Within a half an hour, it was all in the house. Another resident said, next year we can flood again. What is the future for the properties here? We need to think about how future-proof the houses to make sure that it doesn't happen again. We can be quick. It's frustrating. There is nothing you can do about it. It's pointless getting angry because it doesn't solve anything. We had warning it was going to come. It doesn't matter if you get two inches of flooding or two foot. You're still flooded. It still damages all the materials in your home. And the final flood headline story. A 
councillor and residents say they fear the major work to duel the southern link road has contributed to some of the worst flooding ever seen in Poic, but the county council has denied the suggestion. Poic has suffered badly from the effects of Storm Dennis, with flooding forcing residents out of their homes and closing businesses and making major roads inaccessible. Residents say they are concerned the work to duel the nearby southern link road between the Ketch and Poic roundabouts has done nothing but contribute to some of the worst flooding the village has ever experienced. While Councillor Tom Wells, who represents Poic on the County Council, said building a huge construction compound on a floodplain might have made the situation far worse than it would otherwise have been. Juliet Wallace-Mason, director of the historic Poic Mill, said the flooding in Poic had been frightening and she had never seen anything like it since moving in in 2012. She said an awful lot of trees were cut down last year during the duelling work, which she believed had a knock-on effect. She said the ground was not being dredged, causing massive build-ups of water that led to huge floods. I know I've only been here eight years, but I really have not seen anything like it before, and a lot of my neighbours are saying the same, she said. Mrs Wallace Mason said she had no doubt the amount of concrete and tarmac at the roundabouts, particularly the massive mess quotes, of the catch, as well as tree chopping from Carrington Bridge to Poic, had made the flooding worse. She said we used to have a lovely babbling brook, and now it's either stagnant and stinky or high and reaching right up to the arches of the bridge. Before, the water would appear and then it would be gone. Now it stays around for weeks. A number of trees between Carrington Bridge and Poet Roundabout were cleared last year to make way for the new new dual carriageway. Councillor Ken Pollock, Cabinet Member for Economy and Infrastructure at the County Council, said the planning application for the Southern Link Road Phase 4 scheme included extensive research into how the scheme could affect flooding in the area. This was done in full consultation with the Environment Agency, who fully endorsed all of the plans. The research showed that the scheme had little, if any, impact on flood water levels. Responding to Councillor Pollock, Councillor Wells said even a little impact on flood levels was the difference between homes flooding or not. It was only a matter of centimetres before it breached the flood defences in Poic. So a little impact makes a huge difference, he said. Councillor Wells said the flood defences installed after huge floods in 2007 were to make sure, it was claimed, the devastation, quotes, never happened again. There is a huge compound there and a brand new access road, huge mounds of earth and dirt from earthworks and foundations. And there the article ends. It was a little bit cut off. Hmm. So, those are the headline stories, and um, <laughs> rather soggy ones. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, with the rest of the news, here's Judith. Thank All you. Right. More needs to be done to bring the hundreds of city homes that have been empty for years into use, instead of building on green space, a councillor has said. Councillor Lewis Stephen will use the evening of the... Um, a, 
of February the 18th, his, the full city council meeting to highlight the number of empty homes in the city and call for a big council tax hike for the owners who fail to bring their properties back into use. If the call gets the backing of councillors, it could see the owners of homes that have been empty for more than five years forced to pay three times the amount of council tax. There are 327 empty homes that have been empty for more than six months and 86 homes empty for more than two years. A total of 15 homes have been empty for more than five years and 13 homes have been vacant for more than a decade. The council has al can already charge double the amount of council tax on homes empty for more than two years after changes in government legislation. City councillors backed by the plan to hit the owners of long-term empty homes last February and will again look at charging more council tax for empty homes tonight. That is the night of the meeting. Councillor Stevens said it was important to publicise the issue of long-term empty homes and said whilst the city and the county need more homes, it should be looking to bring empty homes back into use as well as building on brownfield land and in the city centre, rather than paving over the city's green space. He said, building more homes on the edge of the city, particularly in places where there are poor public transport links, means more cars on the road and more traffic and congestion in the city centre. It's important to highlight the number of empty homes there are in the city and we need to be encouraging the owners of empty homes to bring them back into use. We do not we do need more homes. We do need more accommodation, but we need positive suggestions that will provide more housing. Councillor Stevens said bringing empty homes back into use, particularly eyesore homes left to dec decay, would also detract from the be from be the becoming a focal point for antisocial behaviour and squatting. Empty properties can be reported via the housing section of the Worcester City Council website. Worcestershire MP Robin Walker has said he is looking forward to continuing the interesting and fascinating work at the Northern Ireland office after earning a promotion in Prime Minister Boris Johnson's first cabinet reshuffle. Mr Walker will now take up the role of Minister of State, having previously served as Parliamentary Under-Secretary for Northern Ireland. He said, from a personal perspective, the Northern Ireland work has been very interesting and fascinating, and I'm sure it will continue to be. It was very important that we left the EU with a deal. Some of the great challenges are to make sure there continues to be no hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, and the two countries continue to have the best possible relationship. Brandon Lewis replaced Julian Smith as Northern Ireland Secretary, who was the first casualty of the Cabinet reshuffle only weeks after he negotiated a return to power-sharing in Northern Ireland, after three years without a devolved government. I'm pleased to have worked with Julian Smith and I wish him well. Brandon Lewis is someone I know well, so I look forward to working with him, said Mr Walker. 
Mr Walker also said County colleague and Redditch MP Rachel McLean's appointment as Parliamentary Undersecretary in the Department of Transport was fantastic news for Worcestershire. Bromsgrove MP Sajid Javid quit his role as Chancellor and resigned from the government yesterday, February the 13th, in Mr Johnson's first significant cabinet reshuffle since the Conservatives' election win in December. Mr Walker said, I was very sorry to see Sajid Javid leave. He was a great colleague and a fantastic Chancellor and I hope he will be back. A health watchdog has found any departments in Worcestershire Royal Hospital and Alexander Hospital, Redditch, inadequate. A report by the Care Quality Commission, CQC, released found people waiting too long for assessment and treatment. They also found patients were treated on corridors too frequently and not referred to specialists quickly enough. According to the inspection held in December, the longest wait for a bed was recorded as 23 hours and 24 minutes. 18 patients were noted to be on trolleys along the main corridors and patients' privacy and dignity was not always protected due to overcrowding. The rating is the worst possible and comes after improvements had seen the trust elevated to requires improvements last May. In response, Matthew Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said... Despite the enormous efforts of our staff alongside GPs, community staff and social care, we know that some patients are still waiting too long to get into our emergency departments or are spending too long in the emergency departments waiting to be moved onto a ward. On behalf of the Trust and all of our partners across the county, we apologise for this. The Trust went on to say that since the report, they have increased the numbers of nurses and doctors in any departments and will open an additional 33 new beds at both hospital sites. CQC Chief Inspector of Hospitals, Professor Ted Baker, said, At Worcestershire Royal Hospital, the Trust failed to meet national standards requiring clinical assessment of 95% of ambulances, of ambulance-conveyed conveyed patients within 15 minutes of arrival. Some people brought by ambulance waited over three hours before being handed over to trust staff for care and treatment. The trust recognised an increase of patients sustaining pressure damage while waiting in Worcestershire Royal Hospital's emergency department. It had taken ASHU action deploying a tissue viability nurse and introducing pressure-relieving devices. However, patients remained on trolleys for extended periods due to lack of space in the department for them to be transferred to a more appropriate hospital bed. Overcrowding was our biggest concern in Alexandra Hospital's emergency department. The layout of the department and too few cubicles led it to becoming overwhelmed quickly, posing a risk to patient safety. However, in both departments we saw professional and caring staff who remained cheerful and engaged with patients, even when working under pressure. Interactions were positive and respectful. Another flood story, I'm afraid, but it's a community uh, one. A brother and sister have praised the community for uniting to donate food, clothing and other items to people hit by the flooding. And they are appealing for even more help. 
Steve and Ellie Simmons set up a drop-off donation point at Poet Church in the Greenway on February the 18th and people in need were invited to attend between 5 and 9pm on Wednesday evening to collect items that they had been left without due to the effects of Storm Dennis. Miss Simmons, aged 24, said... People have been kind and have been taking in donations. So many people have lost items in their home from the floods. It's for everyone in Worcester, not just the residents in Perwick. Everyone seems so badly affected. We want to help everyone, or at least as many people as we can. The whole community has come together. The amount of donations we have received has been unbelievable. Miss Simmons added, people in Poic were evacuated and haven't been back to their houses yet. We want to make people aware that if they are in need of stuff, we can help. The family are appealing for donations such as clothes, food, bedding, pet food, toiletries, crockery, household items and so on. Meanwhile, a free evening meal was going to be available at the Red Line in the village on um, in Poic on Uh, Thursday uh, evening, that's today, the 20th. Mr Simmons, aged 26, said, If your house has been flooded, come and visit us and take items that you may need to help you get sorted. There's also free tea and coffee. Miss Simmons added, The items will be available for the community to help themselves to over the weekend at the pub. Mr Simmons is a chef at the Bank House Hotel in Bransford and he will have been cooking food. There was going to be sausage, mash and vegetables as well as puddings and Bennett's ice cream has also donated their sweet treats for people to enjoy a dessert. Well, I hope they enjoyed it. Um, I'm now going to read um, some sports news and the first one is um, about director of rugby Stuart Hooper who felt both teams had pushed the pendulum the other way after Bath edged a 22-21 to win at Warriors in the Gallagher Premiership. Worcester bounced back from conceding an early try to lead 13-10 to at the break and warranted a greater margin thanks to a forceful display against the wind. However, Bath recovered and should have added to the two second-half tries they scored before surviving Chris Pennell's last-ditch attempt to kick for victory from his own half. On which side had influenced the turnaround most, Hooper said. It was probably a bit of both, but that's rugby. I am always going to credit our boys because I I see how much work they put in but Worcester will be looking at things they could have done differently in the second half, I am sure. Interestingly, both teams probably played a bit better when they were into the wind. The mindset to actually get off the floor, work and put yourself in the position to carry is slightly different. I thought we played well in the second half. We pressurised them and came up with the scores. Hooper revealed he had been unhappy with the opening 40 minutes with a few home truths told in the bath dressing room at half-time. I thought we were off in the first half, said Hooper. We weren't where we needed to be tactically or from an effort point of view and we talked about that at half-time. 
We were very clear about that. Credit to the boys. I am very proud of the effort they put in the second half and their application to get us back in the game and then score those couple of tries which got us the win. It could be, down to, a number of things. We scored early. Perhaps we thought the wind would do more for us than it did and we didn't get the ball off the field enough to pressure their line-out. We made it more of a contest than it needed to be in the first half, but then in the second half we rolled up our sleeves and really worked for it. Worcester City's Wembley dream is over after a cruel penalty shootout defeat to Atherston Town in the FA Vars fifth round replay. City hit the post twice in the second half as they pushed for the winner, but were left wondering what might have been after what might have been after Adder's substitute, Adam Goodby, scored the winning spot kick to send the visitors into the quarterfinals. City's Luke Rowe and Sam Hall fell foul of the dreaded shootout despite Nathan Haynes missing for the visitors as Goodby booked Adder's ticket through. Worcester's players slumped to the floor following the winning kick as Atherston celebrated wildly with their fans after notching up another scalp in the competition. Atherston went ahead after 20 minutes when Sam Belcher stunned the crowd with a brilliant long-range strike from 25 yards that went in off the post. City had chances to level before the break, with Sean Brain having the best of them, blazing over from a matter of yards following a cutback from Dimitri Brown. But City were not to be denied just three minutes from half-time when a long ball lipped over the, looped over the Adders' defence and Luke English struck a first-time volley into the bottom corner at the back post. The second half saw more chances for both teams and started off with a big penalty appeal for the away side. Joe Obi went down in the city box under a challenge from keeper Daniel Jessup, following a mazy run, but the, the referee was unmoved. The biggest chance fell to City minutes later when a free kick for Atherston went wrong and left Brain two-on-one with the defender and teammate Liam Lockett. Brain decided to go it alone and carried the ball from box to box before cutting inside and smashing the post. The striker was desperately unlucky, but in the end it proved to be a costly miss. The game claimed down af- calmed down after the initial crazy 15-minute spell following half-time, but there was time for another big handball appeal from Atherstone when the ball looked to have smacked Joe Hawkins on the arm. Extra time came and went with little goalmouth action, but there was one big opportunity for the hosts in what proved to be another huge moment in the match. Marco Adagio, who was removed from the starting lineup minutes before kickoff due to a slight knock, came on just before the second period of extra time. The hero of the last round came so close to sending Worcester through to the quarter-finals when his audacious effort to chip the keeper crashed back off the bar with seven minutes left. The shootout saw the first six penalties hit the back of the net before Hall missed for his, his for City. Haynes had the chance to put the adders in the next round, but his kick hit the bar and City were back on level terms when keeper Jessup smashed his in. 
Sudden death came, but Rose saw his penalty saved and Goodby then hammered the ball into the net to send the adders through. Tributes have been paid to a bubbly young woman who played wheelchair basketball in Worcester, who has died aged 22. Morwenna Johnson, aged known as Mo, died on January the 17th after battling mental health issues. The 22-year-old was known in the community after playing for Worcester Wolves Wheelchair Basketball Club. Her best friend, Emma Johnson, who met Mo in 2016, said, We became very close over the years. She was like my sister. I was her family. I am completely empty without her. I have lost my shadow and lost my best friend. I was the one who was there for her. I saw her every single day up until the day she died. Mrs Johnson met Mo at Stoke Spitfire's wheelchair basketball in Stoke-on-Trent, where Mo was an ambassador for the club. Mrs Johnson, aged 32, described her best friend as devastatingly beautiful and said she touched many people's lives. She was super competitive and fierce on the court. She was such an amazing person. It's a shame she didn't realise how important she was and how many people she touched. Mo, who changed her surname from Hastings to match her friends last year, became paralysed at the age of 18 after having a spinal stroke. She started at the University of Worcester in 2016 to study disabilities in sport before she changed her course to social work. In 2017, she received a scholarship and went to Alabama in the United States to study before moving back to the UK in March 2019. Her body was found by police and paramedics at the travel lodge in Newcastle Road, Stoke-on-Trent, after reports of a medical emergency at the venue. But there was nothing the emergency services could do to save her, and she was pronounced dead at the hotel. Dave Dunbar, chairman of the Worcester Wolves wheelchair basketball team, posted the heartbreaking news on Facebook on January the 19th. He said, had some very sad news to a young friend of mine, losing, if that's the right word, her battle with mental health. I say she was a friend as I only really spoke to her a few times, photographed her a few times as well while she played a sport that she loved. But I loved her like a friend and I am truly heartbroken that a woman with such potential and so much to live for is not alive anymore. She was a character and a special person who will be sadly missed. All I have to say is that if anyone ever wants someone to talk to, I'm here. I'm a good listener, even if it is via social media. Please don't be afraid to talk and ask for help. Hashtag forevermo. Harry Smith, head coach for Worcester Wolves wheelchair basketball team, said, When you saw Mo, she always brought a bright spark to the team. She was fiery on the court and became ev- uh, before every game she brought a real buzz to the team. She was one of the first people I had coached at the club. You could talk to her about anything, on and off the court. She was a lovely person and she cared for everyone. Mr Smith, aged 24, added, She was a role model within the Women's League. There are so many people who knew Mo. She provided so much happiness. She had a charismatic personality. She was a very helpful, happy, positive, fun and bubbly woman. She would always be on the court with a big smile on her face, which for a lot of sport, that gets intense. People forget that smile. Worcester Wolves Wheelchair Basketball Club has posted a video on Facebook to pay tribute to Mo, which includes various photos of her taken at the club.
council tax will rise by around £66 next year after budget plans were backed. Worcester City Council unanimously approved its budget for next year, which included a £5 rise in council tax for the average city household. The City Council's £10.7 million budget includes £2.85 million for sport, £100,000 to support the city becoming environmentally sustainable, more than £300,000 to revamp the city's historic arches and £695,000 to provide at-home facilities for people living with disabilities. Thousands has also been earmarked for play areas and car parks. The budget was backed by councillors at a full meeting on February the 18th in the Guildhall. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of the City Council, said there had not been a bottomless pit of money for councillors to get everything they wanted, but the right balance had been struck. He said the drop in income from car parking and crematorium fees had meant the council had been left with some challenging decisions which had been dealt with maturely. Councillor Adrian Gregson, deputy leader of the council and leader of the council's Labour group, warned that whilst the budget was balanced this year, million-pound gaps in budgets were appearing in future years which needed to be taken seriously. There are plans afoot. We do need to bear those in mind. It's no use waiting until this time next year to try and do that, he said. Councillor Louis Stephen, leader of the council's Green Group, welcomed the £100,000 to help make the city environmentally sustainable. He said, declaring a climate emergency was the easy bit. If we do want to get anywhere near our carbon zero targets... We now need to pick up pace. Tinkering around the edges is not going to get us where we need to be. Worcestershire County Council has already backed a 4% increase for the amount it asks from residents, with 2% ring-fenced for adult social care. West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion had his budget plan backed earlier this month with a 4% rise in funding extra officers, he said. Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service has also asked for £2 more next year. A cafe owner has released a CCTV image of a man who he believes stole the staff tip jar. Staff at Café Bolero in St Nicholas Street have been left shaken up and scared after the tip jar was stolen during the morning rush, said owner Fatmir Kokaj. Mr Kokaj said, A man came into the shop and was served by a female member of staff. He ordered a hot drink and went to pay by card, but it was declined. When the server was distracted, he slipped the tip jar, which was sitting on the counter, into his bag. This was a very nasty theft. It did not. It was not about the money. It would have only been about four pounds. It is the principle. He stole from my hard-working staff. 
I found it very shocking when I watched it back on the cameras. According to Mr. Kokaj, the incident happened on February the 12th at 8.25am and he says the man was wearing a black coat and hat. He has sent the Worcester News a CCTV image of a man he suspects to be the thief. Mr. Kokaj added, I wasn't here at the time, I was on the school run, but the cafe was very busy and he took advantage of that. When I got into work, somebody asked me if I knew what had happened to the tip jar and I was very worried. I immediately thought the worst. Staff and customers were shaken up and scared after the theft. I feel bad for my customers. They come in here to relax. They don't need to be scared by criminal activity in my cafe. It is very detrimental for business. Cafe Bolero is known as a community hub. Last year, the business donated a day's takings to Hand in Hand for Oscar, a fund to help pay for specialist cancer treatment in Singapore for six-year-old Oscar Saxaby Lee. At the time, Mr Kokaj said, I have four kids myself. And every time I look at my kids, I am thinking about Oscar, and I put myself in his parents' position. I wondered if it was one of my, if it was one of my kids, how I would feel, and how I would feel if someone tried to help me. Police said the theft had not yet been reported. This week, reporter Grace Walton paid a visit to the Arboretum, also known as the Arbo an area at the heart of the city. I know the neighbourhood well, as I have relatives in the area. The history of the Arboretum goes back to the 18th century, when the place was just grazing fields. Nowadays, besides residents complaining about parking, the area is known for Pocket Park, Worcester Canal, the former Sansom Walk swimming pool, Worcester Baptist Church, local pub The Chestnut Tree, which is run by quirky landlord Mad Pierre, and so much more. Ward councillors Jenny Barnes and Joyce Squires told me what they think makes the Arboretum a special place. Councillor Barnes said you can't beat the Arboretum, describing it as a very friendly community. Councillor Squires said it is a very diverse area, the Arboretum has always welcomed migrants to the city, going way back to Italians who came over after the First World War, and then Polish people after the Second World War, particularly those that had come over to Britain to escape the war. There's been a succession since then. We've got a lot of Bangladeshi, Pakistani and Eastern European families, so it's a fantastic mix of cultures which people who live here really enjoy. Fabio Verk, who has run Verk's newsagents for 34 years, told me, Our shop is like the heart of the community. It's easy for people to pop in. We talk to our customers here and provide a friendly service. A wide mix of people come into the shop, from the young to the elderly, and all sorts of nationalities. The Arboretum is a really friendly place and a nice area to live in. The newsagent in Northfield Street recently expanded and has been offering a post office service to residents since October last year. The chestnut tree, run by landlord Colin Mad Pierre Robertson, is a community hotspot for locals. 
The pub is designated as a community asset, which means that if it was put up for sale, it would be offered to the community first as a safety net. This offers protection to the venue as people were concerned about Worcester pubs closing. A pocket park was opened in Westbury Street in 2007, which offers green-fingered individuals a place to enjoy nature. The community garden was opened after money was raised by the Residents' Association and matched by the City Council. There are flower beds, herb gardens, bee homes, outdoor games and fruit and vegetable patches for people to help themselves to the fresh produce. The former swimming pool in Sansom Walk, which closed in December 16, is set to be demolished by the end of the year. The council has decided the site will be developed for housing. Councillor Barnes said she would like to see the derelict swimming pool site to become housing which will be specially adapted for people with disabilities. She said people living in the Arboretum, as they get older, they need more careful housing provided to them, such as wheelchair access or just not two flights of stairs. I'm hopeful that the Arboretum will provide a space for people with disabilities. There is an estimated population of around 2,000 people who reside in the Arboretum. The Arboretum Residents Association organised Love the Arboretum on Saturday, February 15th, which was a light festival. Residents created an outdoor light gallery which welcomed explorers to the area to visit the trail. Reverend Darren Smith, minister at Worcester Baptist Church, said... Worcester Baptist Church has been part of the Arboretum for over 150 years and in recent times has worked jointly with the Residents' Association with the running of various events such as Carols by the Canal and the Love the Arboretum light display event. Both of these events helped to bring about community cohesion. The church also runs groups used by those in the community. This includes a weekly toddler group, a bi-weekly lunch club and a weekly crafts and friendship group. Everywhere, everywhere we step in Worcester, there is a tale waiting to be told. Some people may question this statement and argue that some areas of the city are modern and therefore devoid of a story. But that's not the whole picture. The Crowngate Shopping Centre was opened by the Duke of Gloucester in 1992. Today, people standing waiting for the bus in the bus station browse the brightly lit shops above or park their cars in the multi-storey car park, not realising the wealth of heritage the site holds. Between 1985 and 1986, an archaeological excavation took place on what was to be the Crowngate bus station. This was my first brush with Worcester's past. It had a lasting effect on me, giving me the enthusiasm to create Discover History in 2003. The bus station site has a fascinating history, spanning centuries. A site which was originally occupied by Roman houses and workshops stretching down to the River Severn. The area was eventually abandoned and became farmland used for grazing sheep for the thriving wool industry. However, on June 5th, 1347, William Beecham, Lord of Elmley, purchased the land, now labelled Bellasis, meaning finely situated. A Dominican friary was built on this land and flourished for many years. The 16th century historian and traveller John Leyland said, This ground is the highest plot in the town and hath a fair prospect. 
The friary was constructed from stone, timber and even topped off with a tiled roof. It was a self-sufficient community within the new city wall. The dissolution of the monasteries in 1536 eventually led to the sale of the friary, with much of the structure being sold and recycled to anyone with money. William Hu bought the church roof for £4.15 shillings and a penny. John Gren bought a door for two shillings and Thomas Chapman a plank for tuppence. The monastic garden survived the dissolution because it was leased out as church garden or choir gardens as late as 1606. Cloth was often left to dry in this area after being dyed by the city cloth workers. In the 1700s, land within the city walls was in short supply, so the friary site was built on. Dr Nash in 1780 takes up the story in his History of Worcestershire. The monastery stood where gardens now are at the top of Friars Alley, behind Smock Alley, running up to Angel Lane. One butler, a flax dresser, was built a row of neat houses and Fitzer, a grocer, another row on part of the site. These houses are now called Blackfriars. Unfortunately, this area became overcrowded, which in turn led to numerous cholera epidemics, gin dens, crime and a serious lack of sanitation, all forced the city elders to look at improving the area. They described the area as in a filthy and unwholesome state, so as to be a nuisance. Action was slow and even during the Great War this area was still a slum. By the 1960s, full-scale demolition was ordered on a number of sites across Worcester, including the Crown Gate bus station site. This led to the 1960s development consisting of a multi-storey car park, flats, shops and indoor market, affectionately known as Blackfriars, the second time this term was used in its history. In the 1980s, this site saw further changes when the 1960s structure was partly demolished to make way for the Crown Gate Shopping Centre. The archaeological excavation was led by the late Charles Mundy, archaeologist and friend. The friary remains were found along with numerous cesspits and rubbish dumps from the medieval period. Also unearthed were Roman road surfaces, backyards and iron slag the shadows of timber buildings and a substantial 17th century earthwork was also uncovered. Safe to say, this is more than just a bus station. <laughs> and I have a little more history for you, and I'm afraid it's another watery story. It's how the city coped in 1947. So Mike Price poses the question, are the current floods the worst Worcester has ever seen? The question possibly has several different answers because the topography of the River Severn and its environs has changed over the years. But certainly the city saw more than enough flood water in 1924, 1947 and more recently in 2007. However, for most authorities, the benchmark has been Friday, March the 21st, 1947, when the maximum amount recorded reached 24 feet 3 inches, which the Worcester Evening News and Times described as exceeding all previous levels. 
This was not the height of the river, but the amount of water above the river's normal winter levels. As the paper explained, there were, there were 26 feet 5 inches on the upper sill at Diglis and 34 feet 3 inches on the lower sill, representing 16 feet 5 inches and 24 feet 3 inches of flood water respectively. This dramatic event was to virtually cut off St John's and a third of the city's west side was sandwiched between the swollen rivers Severn and Team, becoming almost an island. New Road was flooded by several feet of water and what was described as a Dunkirk-style operation had to be mounted for several days to ferry people between St John's and the city. The News and Times reported that the cooperation of all forms of transport at Worcester lessened the crisis. Corporation horse-drawn carts and heavy open-backed lorries ferried people up and down New Road and Burnham's coaches ran a free ferry service between the Bullring and the bridge, much like has happened this week. A 15-minute shuttle service by train, again free, was also run between Forget Street Station and Henwick Holt, giving another vital line of communication between the city centre and St John's. The platforms on both stations were constantly crowded. People whose homes were flooded tried to struggle on by living in bedrooms and upper floors, but it eventually became necessary to evacuate most of them. Some booked into packed local hotels, while others were found emergency accommodation at Hilborough Hospital on Tallow Hill or in council houses. For those who stayed put, the WRVS and other voluntary services waded out with meals or used vans, horse-drawn drays and boats. While the Mayor of Worcester started an emergency fund for city flood victims, raising several thousands of pounds. Many Midland Red bus services had to be abandoned, with Newport Street bus station completely underwater and at least a dozen roads leading in and out of Worcester being totally impassable. But perhaps the saddest story of all emerged when flood water from the River Team entered the cottage of 88 years old Mrs Rose Little and her 90 years old husband Tom at one mill yard Lower Wick. The pair decided to stay on, but a few days later, Mrs Little died. As the News and Times pointed out, the funeral arrangements presented several difficulties. Eventually, Mr H Manning, manager of Worcester Cooperative Funeral Department, and three assistants, two of whom were builders, hired a punt and ferried the coffin across the flooded team, having gained admission to the cottage via a bedroom window. They managed to get the coffin to dry land, and it was then transferred to a horse-drawn coal cart and taken to the home of one of the couple's sons, Mr George Little, at Manor Cottage, Lowick, to wait until the waters subsided sufficiently to allow the hearse to pass along the Malvern Road to Poick Church. Mrs Little, who had lived in Mill Yard all her life, had been flooded out nearly every winter of her 88 years, 
and often said she would not leave the cottage until she died. With his wife's body safely removed, Mr Little left their little home to keep a vigil by his wife's coffin until it was buried at Poick a week later. Um, a garage set up by a city man is flourishing with 13 employees after 10 years. Worcester-born and bred Matt Jeffries started off the business with a shell garage in St John's more than 10 years ago. But now the plot hosts a shop for all motoring needs, including servicing MOTs and repairs. Mr Jeffries said with various businesses closing in Worcester at the moment, St John's Garages is one that is flourishing and on Wednesday celebrated a decade in business. The garage has gone from strength to strength and now employs 13 members of staff and holds a fleet of 10 courtesy cars, an amount he said not even national dealerships provide in the area. Mr Jeffries and his team pride themselves on their excellent customer service and their nothing-is-too-much-trouble ethos has led to a repeat customer base and ten years of successful business. Mr Jeffries admits it was not always easy, but now the garage is reaping the rewards. Hard work and lots of it, he said. I think the phrase blood, sweat and tears covers it quite well. We will always be honest with customers and tell them how it is and we do not, we do what we can to save people's money. We aren't about squeezing people for every penny and I guess that's what people are after. All the lads have a great knowledge of cars. Whether they're 10 years old or 100, we are all capable of dealing with whatever we need to. The 37-year-old started the business with just one apprentice. He said every day in Worcester there are local businesses closing down or struggling to stay afloat. So when I see this, I am just very proud in the knowledge that our business is actually growing, not just flourishing. Think it's something worth celebrating. There are a few of us here now, and that's a good sign. We also operate on a local strategy, so we try and employ local people and we are all local to the area. I just think we're a friendly bunch. The nice thing is that we are quite old-fashioned in our approach. We know everyone on a first-name basis, and that's what people who come here are after, I think. It's just a great place to work in general. The lads are always singing and dancing around and taking the mick out of one another. It's a great environment to be in, and that always makes for a good working environment also. A huge multi-million pound regeneration of the city's Shrub Hill area, including hundreds of new apartments, shops, a hotel and a new footbridge, looks finally set to get off the ground after years of delays and negotiations. The major plan by Sheriff's Gate Limited already has approval for a number of significant improvements to the east of the city centre. The planning application was submitted in March 2012 but was not approved until December 2018 after long negotiations between the developer and Worcester City Council. 
a separate application for several changes to the original planning permission, which included the layout and appearance of the buildings and the order in which the regeneration would be made, was backed by the Council's planning committee at the end of last year. The changes meant the developer could alter the application slightly to allow more flats to be built first so that time-sensitive government grant money can be secured. Now, a minor but separate application, which includes changing to developer contributions and other legal legal detail, will now be debated by councillors on February 20th. It had been due to be discussed in conjunction with the major changes to the site in December last year, but was later pulled from the planning agenda. The developer put forward a number of changes to the order of the four-phase development, all of which have been recommended for approval, including building 212 flats and a small shop in the first phase and a 675-space car park, 180 flats and a shop as well as the restoration of the lock building in the second phase. The third phase would consist of building 76 flats, shops and a new building for a hotel or a different leisure use. The fourth and final phase would see a footbridge built between the site and Worcester Shrub Hill Station. The hybrid planning application put forward in 2012 and approved last December showed the multi-storey car park would have been built first as well as 135 homes and a shop followed by a hotel and the footbridge in the second phase. More homes would have followed in the third phase. Updates by the developer in October 2016 said it was still negotiating with the government and third-party housing providers but hoped to start in early 2017. The original hope for the grand scheme, which was expected to take at least four years, would have been completed last year. Early plans showed more than 600 homes alongside an 80-bed elderly care village, cinema, bowling alley, ice skating rink, retail, restaurants, a 96-bed hotel, gym, 1,000 parking spaces, offices and more. Amazon's Worcester Delivery Station has donated £2,000 to the Children's Cancer and Leukaemia Group as part of a community programme. The group received the donation as part of the Amazon in the Community Scheme, where the company supports the communities around its operating locations across the UK. To mark the donation, a charity representative visited Amazon's delivery station in Worcester to meet the team. Amazon's Worcester delivery station manager, Marcus Gorman, said, It's absolutely wonderful to have the opportunity to support the work of CCLG with this donation. The group offers such vital support to children with cancer and we're pleased to fund part of that work. It was lovely to meet the charity representative and hear about all the ways CCLG offer care to families across the county. Jill Smithman, head of fundraising at the Children's Cancer and Leukaemia Group, said, On behalf of myself and everyone of at CCG, CCLG, I want to say a huge thank you to the Amazon team in Worcester for this donation. It was especially lovely to meet Marcus and the Amazon Worcester team and to thank them all. More than £64,000 has been donated to Children's Cancer and Leukaemia by Amazon so far. The Children's Cancer and Leukaemia Group is a leading national charity for all childhood cancers 
and supports innovative world-class research to drive forward improvements in treatment with care and to ensure children with cancer survive and live happy lives. Another nomination has come in for this year's Worcestershire Education Awards, this time for a previous winner. Discover History, which won the Community Involvement Award in 2017, provides educational workshops and activity days, has once again received a nomination, with founder Helen Helen Harding being nominated for Unsung Hero. The nomination described Mrs Harding's contagious enthusiasm, saying, Behind the scenes, Helen has worked extremely hard. She is an unsung hero on many counts. Not only does she work on the boring admin out of sight, but she works enthusiastically in schools, bringing history to life in a fun and interactive way. The enthusiasm is contagious to the point even those children who struggle still manage to learn. When Discover History started, Helen planned the workshops and ensured they linked to the national curriculum that the schools were using. Helen was taken seriously ill in December, but still battled on until a hospital admission forced a halt. If Helen was nominated, shortlisted or even won the Unsung Hero Award, she would be over the moon. She deserves to be the face of Discover History. Discover History was set up in 2003 by Paul and Helen Harding. The two not only carry out visits, they also run a series of history clubs for all ages. The Worcestershire Education Awards, run jointly between Worcester University and the Worcester News, celebrates excellence in teaching and training across the county. The deadline for award nominations is April 18th. Finalists are chosen by a panel of judges and winners will be announced during an award ceremony at the University Arena in Worcester on June the 20th. The new Bishop of Dudley, Martin Gorick, will be welcomed to the diocese this weekend with two special services in Worcester and Dudley. Bishop Martin said, I'm delighted to be joining Bishop John and the people of Worcester and with all across the Diocese of Worcester. At 4pm on Sunday, February the 23rd, Bishop Martin will attend a special evensong service in Worcester Cathedral where he will be installed as a canon of the cathedral as part of his role as the Bishop of Dudley. At 4pm on Saturday, February the 22nd, he will be at a service at Top Church, St Thomas and St Luke, at the top of the High Street in Dudley. Here he will be welcomed to the Borough of Dudley as well as the diocese by congregations and dignitaries from the area. These two services mark the official start of Bishop Martin's ministry in the diocese where he will be uh, working with Bishop John. A petition against building an 80-bed care home on the edge of the city has reached more than 500 signatures. Councillor Mel Alcott, who represents claims on Worcester City Council, 
has launched a petition against the outrageous proposal to build a care home next to Common Hill Manor in Northwick and said not only is the land a much-loved green space in the community, but there is no need for the care home when there are plans to build one less than a mile away. Northwick Developments Limited has put forward a plan to build a two-storey, £9 million care home off Northwick Road. A plan for the 74-bed care home on the remaining part of the old park and ride site in John Corman Drive off Droitwich Road, less than a mile away from Old Northwick Farm, was submitted to Worcester City Council in January. Councillor Orchard said, whilst the plan is on the edge of Worcester, it will be decided by planners at Witchhaven, none of whom who live in the area. She said, I think it is outrageous. A developer has put forward a proposal for a care home on an irreplaceable green field site known for its diverse and rare ecology, medieval history and stunning landscape view. The land is not even in the current SWDP. Furthermore, there are plans for a care home on the old park and ride site, just a stone's throw away. Of most concern is that the area floods. Can it be any more dangerous for people who need to reside in a care home? The public need to be aware the plans come under Witchhaven District Council. None of the councillors on the planning committee live near the site. Bearing in mind Witchhaven District Council granted planning permission for the railway development in Claims and the ongoing problems ever since building commenced, how can one feel anything but very concerned? Many generations have enjoyed this area. I want to ensure future generations do so too. The land lies outside the development boundaries stated within the current South Worcestershire Development Plan, SWDP, but has been put forward for potential development as part of the ongoing SWDP review. The proposed care home would be built near to land on Old Northwick Farm, earmarked for 62 affordable homes as part of a controversial planning application currently in the midst of an appeal with the government's planning inspectorate. To view the petition, visit u38degrees.org.uk forward slash petitions forward slash save the donkey field. The plans can be viewed via the planning section at Witchhaven District Council's website. Consultation ends on March the 12th. The application number is 20 slash 0234 slash out. Reenactors showcased Worcester's history to visitors as part of an event to celebrate the heritage. More than 200 reenactors dressed in costumes from ancient Romans to Second World War soldiers and doctors thrilled visitors to the commandery over the weekend. The annual Living History event, organised by the Worcester reenactors in partnership with the commandery, featured entertainment such as meeting medieval monks and getting recruited by royalists, practising Tudor dancing in the Great Hall. Brian Bullock from Worcester reenactors said... The Living History in Worcester event offers the chance to celebrate history in the heart of Worcester and the historic commandery is the perfect setting. The reenactors all come along on a voluntary basis and are extremely enthusiastic and passionate about the period that they portray and have a wealth of knowledge for visitors to tap into. Stuart Reb 
Web Operations Officer at the Commandery said, The event is one of the most successful things on the Commandery calendar. It's so fantastic to see everybody to get and get involved and immerse themselves in the history of our world. Living History in Worcester is part of the Love Worcester Heritage Festival, a week of events from February the 14th to the 23rd, celebrating Worcester's spectacular heritage. And our final story is about a mystery which surrounds the sudden closure of a newsagent's. A sign on the window at Richardson's in St John's said the shop would be closed until further notice. We apologise for your inconvenience. The move has left some customers questioning why the shop shut suddenly without notice and whether they will be refunded for subscriptions they've already paid. Local councillor Richard Udall said the shop had suffered a drop in footfall recently, which he blamed on local concerns. Roger Marston, 77, from St John's, said, I expected my newspaper to be delivered this morning, but it wasn't. I rang the shop, but there was no reply. The co-op don't do newspaper delivery. A delivery subscriber who did not want to be named said... I pay for the times to be delivered. I've paid £17 for this. Will I get my money back? A business owner near to the shop who does not want to be identified said, The couple that run it are really nice and it was open as normal yesterday. That was Friday the 13th of February. It just doesn't add up. I've noticed recently the footfall in the shop is not what it used to be for a variety of local concerns. There was no answer from the shop when the um, Worcester News tried to contact them and it was founded over a 100 years ago. Mm. And so that brings us to the end of this week's news. So it remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to sign off. But before I do that, to thank Duncan Wynne, Judith Doherty, Janet Goodwin and Sally Rowe for today's contributions and to remind you that when the music has finished I will read the obituaries bye bye deaths which have been announced in the Worcester News over the last week um, that of Patricia Jean Candlin known as Pat formerly of Reway who passed away on February the 2nd her funeral will have taken place on Saturday, February the 22nd. Uh, donations, if desired, for Dementia UK can, can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905 748811. Funeral still to take place. Hilary Ann Jones, late of St Peter's, died on January the 21st. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Monday, February 24th at 12.15pm. Donations invited for St Richard's Hospice and the Friends of Worcestershire Royal Hospital. They can be left on the plate at the crematorium or sent to EJ Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Stanley John Hinnett passed away on January 29th. His funeral service will take place at St Stephen's Church on Monday, February 24th at 
a.m. followed by private interment. Donations, if desired for site concern, may be left in the collection box. Inquiries to Cooperative Funeral Care 01905 John Burton passed away February 2nd. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Tuesday, February the 25th at 10.45am. Donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation could be left in the box or sent directly to the charity. Inquiries to the Cooperative Funeral Care. Details as before. Patricia Ann Williams, nay Sanders, passed away January 31st. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Wednesday the 26th of February at 1pm. Donations, all flowers, but donations if desired to the Alzheimer's Society or Dementia UK can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Details as before or a collection plate at the crematorium. Margaret June Nottingham, Nottingham, sorry, N-O-T-H-I-N-G-H-A-M, known as June, passed away February the 7th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Wednesday, February the 26th at 12.15pm. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services, The Coach House, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT, telephone Worcester 748811. Valerie Dorothy Heesman, known as Val, passed away January 28th. Funeral to take place at St Philip and St James Church in Hallow on Thursday the 27th of February at 12pm. Donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice can be left in the crematorium or sent to AV Band, St John's WR2 4LE. Sheila Johns passed away February the 2nd. Funeral will be held on Thursday... February the 27th at Worcester Crematorium at 9.15am, followed by interment at Ashwood Cemetery. Donations, if desired, to St Richard's Hospice. Ronald Norman Coward, known as Ron, passed away February the 11th. Funeral at Worcester Crematorium, Thursday, February 27th at 1pm. Donations for the Midland Air Ambulance or Stroke Association can be left on the plate or sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Details as before. William Desmond Williams, Des, passed away on February the 7th. Funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, March the 5th at 12.15pm, followed by interment in the cemetery. Family flowers only, donations if desired for Dementia UK, can be left in the collection box or sent to... Cooperative Funeral Care details as before. And those are all the announcements for this week. And the thought for the week is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 28 and 29. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. 